Welcome to another Relate Well with Dr. Rick Marks. And guess what? I am Dr. Rick. You know, Relate Well is a curriculum. It's our process. It's um, our branding, if you will. Relate Well really is a journey. It's a process where we teach people how to have the healthiest, most mature relationships by becoming the healthiest, most mature that you can be. You know, it is, I'm 61 years old, folks, all right? You've been kind of listening to me for a while. You kind of know my story. I'm 61 years old uh, at, the, at the time that I am actually recording this right here, right? And I'm more like 61 and a half. And it is possible to be 61 years old and still emotionally a child. If you're a student of culture, I like to recommend two books. One is uh, the president of the University of Florida, who uh, used to be a U.S. senator, Ben Sass, wrote a very good and poignant book called The Vanishing American Adult. Uh, America is an adolescent and a childish nation at the emotional level. Another great book that I always like to recommend is by Diane West. Her book is called The Death of the Grown-Up. And the subtitle of the book is, catch this, folks, How America's Arrested Development is Bringing Down Western Civilization. I mean, you think about it. We actually value as a nation today immaturity, adolescent behavior. It was an Eric Hoff's quote that basically says, the nation that embraces the attitudes and behaviors and the thinking of adolescence is, an, is a nation that is doomed to fail. He is so absolutely correct about that. But we there's so much being written about today on the immaturity of our nation at the emotional level. In the corporate world, it's being called the lack of EQ, emotional intelligence, which really is immaturity. All right. What has led to this immaturity? Well, it is my personal opinion based on research and experience it's really the breakdown of the family. You see, to become a healthy, mature adult, you have to have people in your life who are mature so they can impart maturity into you. Now, for that to happen, you have to be a student and you must be teachable. That's right. You've got to be teachable. And one of the core concepts that relate well is living a life of humility. Because when you look at the research on humility, only healthy mature adults can live a life of maturity. Immature people in conflict move to pride and defensiveness. Mature people in conflict, because they are in essence humble, move to compassion and cooperation to solve problems. To move to compassion and cooperation to solve problems means you have to have a very healthy, strong self-image, a strong self-esteem which is how you feel about yourself. And you can't have a health, healthy, strong self-esteem, how you feel about yourself, if your self-worth is low. Now, what is self-worth? That's the value you place on yourself. You see, folks, in order to be a healthy, mature adult, you got to have high self-worth. You've got to have high self-esteem. And when those two things are high, you're high most likely you're becoming a mature adult because you're going to live that way as a way of being. And people of high self-worth and high self-esteem have high self-respect. They have high self-compassion. And they do not want to treat people in ways 
that is ill will. They want to treat people with goodwill. Why? Because people who respect themselves tend to respect others. People who tend to lack self-respect tend to be disrespectful of others, i.e. humility versus pride. And so Relate Well is really geared towards helping people become healthy, mature adults. Why? I wasn't one. Relate Well is a lot of my process, my own journey of growing and healing and maturing. But the reason we, we teach people how to have healthy relationships, not just the principles, but get it, folks, the skills. I can teach you about something, but that doesn't mean you know how to do it, i.e. the skills. We actually teach people the skills for for confiding, the skills for forgiveness, the skills for how the brain bonds and attaches at an intimate level, the skills for communication, the skills for problem solving, and much more. And so all of that you can learn and gain gain more information about and actually learn the Relate Well process on your own uh, at relatewell.us. That's relatewell.us. Just click on the core link there and enroll in the course. It's only $149. You get nine sessions, the video of me teaching you how to have healthy, mature uh, relations. Now, today, I want you to think about this question. Is love an emotion? Is love an emotion? It's taught a lot, particularly in the church segment, that love is not an emotion, that love is a decision. Love is an action. And I'm going to uh, uh, submit to you that I do agree, I do agree that love, there are loving actions. But though I act in loving ways, that doesn't mean we have a loving relationship. Because I'm going to argue that love is an emotion. Love does have an emotional component to it. And to negate that is to be disingenuous to ourselves. And I think it disrupts relationships because there are people who have who are married or in relationships with parents, whatever, they admit it's not loving, but they act in, you know, I'm using my fingers in quotes right now, but they, quote, act in loving ways. Folks, you can act in a loving way towards someone, but feel threatened by them. You see, love is an emotion. And the emotions of love are predicated on one thing in particular. But before I answer that, let's talk about the logic of emotions. Some people want to argue that emotions are illogical. You you don't trust your emotions. I would say it this way. Emotions let you know that something's wrong in your relationships. There's something wrong in relationships. Uh, your physical body, when it has pain, tells you something wrong in the physical body. Your emotions let you know that there's something wrong in your relationships. If all things are going well in your relationships, you tend to feel positive emotions. If things are not going well in relationships, you'll tend to feel negative emotions. Anger, pain, hurt, fear, and all kinds of uh, hurtful behaviors. They'll be like helpless, hopeless, powerless I feel rejected. I feel unappreciated. All those are painful, all right? You you really need to have an emotional vocabulary so you can articulate what emotion you're actually experiencing. But that's a digression. 
So the, the, the feelings of love must be understood in light of the logic of emotions. So what is the logic of emotion? All right, here it is. You ready? What is the logic of emotion? Folks, it's really simple. Einstein said make things simple, but not simpler. Here we go. The logic of emotion is that the, the brain always wants to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. That's it. The logic of emotion is that we are wired in the brain to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. You see, a lot of times people's emotional states are really an expression of pain. And their brain is trying to, 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 to experience some form of pleasure. In other words, if I feel disrespected, so now I'm angry and, and upset and hurt and I start yelling. Why do I yell? Because I feel disrespected and my lower animal brain kind of thinks this way. You know, it really doesn't think, but what it's really trying to do by the yelling and screaming is it's hoping that the yelling and screaming will get me respect. See, feeling disrespected is painful. Yelling and screaming, hoping that you will respect me, is pleasurable. It's what I call a rat poison way of getting your needs met. By rat poison, I mean that both hamburgers and rat poison will satisfy a biological need for appetite. Both, if you're hungry, both will make sure you're not hungry. The problem with the rat poison, though, is that though it will satisfy the need for appetite, the source of your pleasure is also a source of pain. Because though you won't be hungry after eating the rat poison, the rat poison itself is going to cause you more pain. What does the brain do? It avoids pain and pursues pleasure. It's what it does really, really well. You have a headache, you take a pill, right? You have uh, um, irritable bowel, you go do something. You go see a doctor, right? If you have pain in your chest, you go do something. Take, a, take an aspirin, go see a doctor. Why? Pain pursues pleasure. Even in the emotional realm. We were not created to live life in disconnection alone. The human brain is designed by God for intimacy. That's bonding, attachment, deep, intimate connections, all right? It's really the essence of the great commandment, which are three relationships. Your relationship to God, your relationship to others, and your relationship to oneself. And you have to have connection, and that's an emotional connection as well, since humans are emotional beings as well. You have to have a healthy, deep connection in all three areas. A, a break in any one of those areas will create a source of pain. The brain doesn't want pain. It wants pleasure. So the logic of emotion is simply that pain pursues pleasure. And this is why you see people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's because they're in relational pain. And the reason they yell or scream or go to addictions, why? Because addictions medicate the pain of, of broken relationships. Whenever you feel angry or despair or unloved or unappreciated in, in large degrees, well, it's easier to go pop a pill, drink alcohol and get tipsy, uh, masturbate, look at pornography, religiosity, food addictions, go gamble. All of addictions are really attachment disorders, you see. That's exactly what they are. They're just attachment disorders. We don't bond to people. We have a tendency to bond to objects. That's what addicts do. So... The logic of emotion is pain pursues pleasure. Well, then, because that's so true about the brain, the brain will, listen, get this down now. The brain feels love for the things that bring it pleasure. Folks, if you 
put a bowl of butter pecan ice cream in front of me, I'm telling you right now, my brain will go, eh, no way. It feels no pleasure with butter pecan ice cream. And because I have no desire for butter pecan ice cream, well, you think, why don't you have desire for it? Because it's not a source of pleasure. We feel love for the things that bring us pleasure. That's why you see you, people say, I, I love this team. I love that team. I, I love golf, right? Why? Because it brings you pleasure and you can feel the love. That's why it is important to understand that when people say, I, I love this or I love that, it's because this or that brings you pleasure. And we always desire the things or the people that bring us pleasure. So then, if I treat my wife, if I treat my children, if I treat others on a regular basis in a way that I'm a source of pleasure, they will desire the relationship with me and they will feel love for me. It's really that simple. We always feel love for the things that bring us pleasure. And if I treat my wife on a regular basis, if I treat her with humility, if I'm respectful, if I'm caring, if I seek to meet her relational needs, the 10 relational needs we talk about uh, and, and relate well, if I'm comforting and giving her attention and acceptance and approval, if I'm respectful, if I'm, if I'm helping her feel secure, if she feels supported, those 10 relational needs, she will feel loved. And because I'm a source of pleasure, more often than not, she will feel love for me. And here's the kicker. When I stop being a source of pleasure, then I am now going to be a source of pain. You do not feel love for people who are a source of pain. Your brain feels threatened by them. You feel a sense of danger. Your brain shuts down because your brain does not want to be emotionally open to someone that is a source of pain. Your brain only wants to be vulnerable around those things, those people that are a source of pleasure. And so I always say it this way. I find it very disingenuous when someone comes to my office and their spouse is leaving them, but they've treated their spouse for 20-something years in a way that they've devalued their spouse, they've invalidated their spouse, they've shown contempt for their spouse, they've been critical of their spouse, they're defensive, and then their spouse wants to leave one day and they're bothered by that. And I always ask the question, why are you bothered by that? It seems to me you should be expecting that. To expect someone to be around you when you are a source of pain, you are not a source of pleasure, is disingenuous of them. It's to really believe that they have no self-respect. People of high self-worth and people of high self-esteem, they confide in you and they confide the hard things. People who lack it may yell and scream. That's not mature, that's immature. But mature people, high self-worth, high self-esteem, will say things like this. You know, Rick, if you continue to do that and continue to talk this way, uh, I will remove myself from this room right now because I respect myself enough to not be talked to this way. And apparently we're not getting anywhere, so there's no reason to have a conversation about this. That is respectful. I See, the thing is, you can always be a source of pleasure and still speak your truth with love. You get it? You can still t say the hard things. You can say the difficult things. You can say the, 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 uh, um, the painful things. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
a Jewish proverb says. Why? Because when a friend tells you something that's painful for you to hear, but what they share with you is actually true about you, they risk the friendship. But they're willing to risk the friendship. Why? Because they love you enough and they want you to be a better person. The question is, are you teachable? Mature people are teachable. Immature people are not. Mature people consider possibilities. They're willing to look in the mirror. They're willing to go, you know, maybe this person's seeing something that I don't see. Where immature people are quick to get defensive. They live in their little, what I call, dot of knowledge. That their little knowledge base in their brain is all the knowledge there is. And so maturity is being able to treat people on a regular basis with humility, with respect, with empathy, with goodwill, what I call HREG. And because you treat people that way on a regular basis, more often than not, you're going to be a source of pleasure. And people desire the people that bring them pleasure. And here's the thing. We feel love for those people. And when you stop being a source of pleasure, hear me out on this one, folks. Think about it for a minute. Don't write me off yet. When you stop being a source of pleasure on a regular basis, you are now a source of pain. You don't feel love for people who are a source of pain. You actually feel threatened by them. Your brain is like they're the danger around them and be careful about them. Don't be vulnerable around them, all right? Don't be emotionally open around them. Stay distance, you know, you stay disconnected physically from them. Why? Your brain doesn't want to be around people that it feels threatened by. And so what does the brain do to threats? Fight, flight, and freeze. Did you get that? Fight, flight, and freeze. You, you fight them because you're angry. You run from them because you're afraid. Or you just go numb because you're in the freeze response. That is the brain's response to things that bring it pain. Now, this is really important as we begin to wrap up here. Um, when you stop feeling love for someone because they're no longer a source of pleasure, listen, listen to what I'm saying. Hear this out. Consider a possibility. You can still act in a loving way. Now, I don't like to say it that way, but that's how people like to use it. You can act in a loving way. Yeah, but how can I act in a loving way if I don't feel love? It's, to me, it's misusing the word love here in, in, in one sentence. I like to say it this way. Even though I don't feel love for you, I actually feel threatened by you. I can still choose to treat you with goodwill, with respect, and with empathy. Why? Because that's the person that I have decided to be. You know, people ask me, why do you treat people with goodwill and respect when they don't treat you that way? And the answer is really simple. The reason I treat people with goodwill and respect, even when they're not that towards me, has nothing to do with them or what they do. I treat them that way because that's who I have decided to be. I, I'm no longer allowing other people to dictate how I am going to be as a way of being. I decide that. And people of high self-worth and high uh, self-esteem will treat you with goodwill and respect, even though they may not feel love for you. Now, I can love you as a decision, but that doesn't mean I feel love for you. It's that old phrase you hear a lot in counseling where a couple comes in and one of them says, well, I love so-and-so, but I'm not in love with them. What does that mean? What it means is I love them as a conscious thought or decision, but the feelings of love are gone. 
And because the feelings of love are gone, then I have to divorce because as the righteous brothers sing, you've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. And as they did on Top Gun, whoa, whoa, do-do, do-do. All right, you saw the Top Gun movie, and I'm not a singer. I'll just stick to my podcast and teaching on healthy relationships, all right? But you get the point. You can lose the feelings of love and still act in a loving way. The emotions of love are predicated upon whether you are a source of pleasure. And then daily, you live that way as a way of being. If you are, people will desire to be around you. They'll desire you in their life. And they'll always feel love for you. And when you stop being a source of pleasure, they won't feel love. They'll feel threat. It's just that simple. Now, we can ask the question, how are you as a way of being? For those that are important in your life, do you treat them in a way that would cause them to feel love or do you treat them in a way that would cause them to feel pay, threat? Because you're, like my mentor taught me, uh, Dr. Gordon, everything I do, everything I do, folks, everything you do, you are a source of pleasure or you are a source of pain. There is no other option. And if the bulk of what you do is pleasurable, they want to be in your life. If the bulk of what you do is pain, they won't be in your life long term. They will leave. But before they leave, they will shut down, distance and disconnect. They'll yell and scream and complain. They'll withdraw or sulk. Why? That's them trying to get what they want and deal with the pain of the relationship. Maybe if we would grow up, if we would mature and become healthy, mature adults so that we deal with conflict in healthy, mature ways, not immature ways, not childish or adolescent ways, then maybe we would more often than not be a source of pleasure. And here's a trick. Be a source of pleasure in conflict. That's right. Is it possible to be a source of pleasure even in conflict with someone? And the answer is yes. But it's going to take two mature adults to do that. Hey, if you're interested in learning more about how we help people do this, go to relatewell.us. That's relatewell.us. Click on the core link, C-O-R-E. Register there for the program. It's only 149 bucks, folks. That's it, 149 bucks. You get access to all nine chapters. You can download, the, you get the PDF to download two of the manuals. So if you're single, you download it for you. If you're dating, you download it for you and your, and, your, and your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or if you're married, download it for you and your spouse. And we, there's nine sessions. Watch the sessions. Do the, do the curriculum in your own home. You'll learn the skills and tools, the research base, and biblically and spiritually sound. Thanks again for listening and just hanging out with us for another episode of Relate Well with Dr. Marks.